welcome one and all to the Moon Knight podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. What? Are we dancing? Are we fighting? What are we going to do? The Moon Knight podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode three, The Friendly Type, is brought to you by the best juice in the world. Indeed, Pete. Moving from juice to tea, tomorrow we will be talking Star Trek Picard, episode 207. We have the Earl Grey on standby. Got, got the street vendor juice ready for today, though. And uh, as always, excited to have one foot in the MCU and one foot in the, can we say STU? Or is it just properly said as the Star Trek universe? I think it's just the Star Trek universe, but this an episode loaded with import, Matt, halfway through the series, but takes on the sentimental value of having been dedicated to uh, the now deceased actor Gaspard Ulel. Yeah, and I must confess, Pete, I had, I had. Uh forgotten about his passing i think it was you know he's not an actor that's super well known uh in these shores um it kind of you know had a blip back in his passing in january uh due to a skiing accident um then to see him in this episode you know vibrant handsome the camera loves him all this potential for his presence in the episode and and the future and so forth and yeah, you know, what a what a loss, particularly only having gotten to know his screen presence this week. You know, of course, always a loss. But I mean, my goodness, what a what a performer he was. And of course, his character here, Anton Mogard, also known in the comics as the elite thief, Midnight Man, and the reference here to Madripoor. Who knows what might have come out of this uh had he not tragically passed in in january and perhaps some further appearances not knowing whether the character will appear in the back half of the series i think it's something that we could certainly hope for uh because he was wonderful in this episode pete looking a bit farther ahead to the schedule getting closer and closer to our golden hours the season slash series finale of moon knight uh, season finale of Picard, the start of Strange New Worlds, and Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness inching ever closer, two weekends away now for that that great confluence. It's going to be a uh, audition for June, <laughs> a rehearsal, if you will. <laughs> Indeed, busy times ahead, but we'll turn things squarely back to Moon Knight here, for it is time for our episode rock app. Layla tells an unseen listener she found Mark with the scarab living 20 minutes from their old place as she straightens up and a camera flashes. She laments he's probably going to get himself killed in Cairo. A woman works on a computer to forge documents for Layla using the photos and remarks she looks unhappy to be heading home. To combat Layla's anxiety, the woman produces a tub of marshmallows. Layla says it's been 10 years since she's been in Cairo. The woman, identified in closed captioning as Legaro, 
asks what Layla's archaeologist father would have thought of his little scarab now. She says they'll never know. Legaro prepares and stamps a passport, admitting she misses him too. She advises Layla to avoid her old haunts. Have a good trip, Layla. Abdullah Elfoli. So, Pete, this is a very talky scene. I only realized halfway through it that they were serving up exposition vegetables here, getting some backstory, some character motivation, and so forth. Uh, which I guess overall is to say it's well done in terms of it, you know, not being like, so tell me about your past, and, you know, things of that sort. Uh, we also get uh, the uh, repeated mention here of dad, how much he is missed and so forth. Um, we get the Marvel Studios uh, logo here, a slamming Middle Eastern track uh, that lets us ponder for a moment if perhaps the MCU can bring the, the faintest bit of togetherness to our real world here because it's just a great track that i never would have heard if not for the mcu afterwards there's a crew of baddies with arthur uh they're following the scarab uh pete let's never lose track of the fact that there still is the the glass shards jostling in both the sound mix uh for us and in the sandals for him uh the scarab finally uh, stops before rock face amit is here we found her uh, he gets an update. Mark Spector is in Cairo, uh, but Arthur is focused on Amit being here. On the rooftops of Cairo, Mark Spector runs toward a would-be informant who is stabbed to death by three knife-wielding assailants. He needed to talk to him about a dig site. Guess he'll have to talk to them instead. The mustachioed man throws his shiny knife in the air and then runs it along the tile of the roof. Uh, hence the dance fight cometh. They fight with Mark, sparing the youngest man who tosses a knife at him as he tangles with another. When he rests the blade from one of them and holds it to the man's throat, Mark sees his reflection and Stephen tells him not to do it. His eyes go white and suddenly he's in a taxi. He tells the cabbie to stop, who remarks in Arabic that he can speak his tongue now, eh? Uh, asking why he's acting like a foreigner. In English, Mark asks where he's taking him, and the driver said he told him to go to the airport. He sees two of the men he was fighting earlier and tells the driver to stop. He gets out and wants to talk to them. They tell him to just let them go. The cabbie wants his money, and Mark chases after the men, telling him, or telling them, it wasn't him. This uh, previous rooftop fight, Pete, the best uh, Disney rooftop fight slash dance I've seen since the Guy Ritchie Aladdin. I know, Pete, people say you're not supposed to like that movie. I quite like it, okay? I'm, I'm here to stand by it. Um, also, the kind of street the lower street level street square uh, setting that we're in right now and going to move to in a little bit feels very, very little like an Atlanta backlot. Um, I would be curious to find out if this was filmed uh, in Jordan, which was one of the you know international filming locations, uh, or if indeed this is just an incredibly detailed, uh, I won't say set, but you know incredibly detailed backdrop 
here in the states because it just you know it fe- it feels really authentic at least to my eyes that have uh, you know never been to such places um we of course have this uh issue here with steven and mark kind of flashing back and forth we have mark uh smacked in the head from behind uh we get a, a flash and um it is we're back to mark has someone has steven question mark uh knifed the men uh this of course having us wonder well it couldn't be steven and it isn't mark um Kanchu tells Mark to take the kid to the ledge, hang him over it. He'll talk. Mark does just that, holding him over. Where's Arthur Harrow? Uh, the kid uh, held by a scarf, the old the old dangly trick here. Again, where's Harrow? The kid uh, ultimately slices the scarf and drops. Uh, not for saying praise Amit. And uh, Kanchu really thought that he would talk. So, so if nothing else, some dry humor here from uh, F. Murray Abraham's Conchu. Yes, not only the one man knifed to death, but Mustache was similarly dead on the ground. Here, a location now outside the city. Um, it's at this point that uh, Mark sees Stephen in another reflective surface, and they argue about which one has gone on a killing spree, each blaming the other. Stephen tells him to stop listening to the stupid pigeon who is now leisurely sitting on a chopped up car. It's a great use of both the practical and the digital. Uh, Mark says if they can't find Harrow's digging crew, they're going to have to stop him another way. He asks if the gods are just going to stand by and allow Amit to be unleashed. Kanchu warns that to signal for an audience with the other gods um, will risk their wrath. And if they anger them enough, they'll imprison Kanchu in stone and Mark will be without the protection of his healing armor. So you got that, Matt? These are the stakes for this episode and halfway through the series. Wait a minute, Pete. It happens later in this episode. Does that make this foreshadowing? <laughs> Way to go, show. Um, Kanshu says he has a bad idea and fades away or kind of jumps away. Um, it's initially unclear what he's doing. Then we see from Mark's vantage point anyway, when you're watching it on first view, uh, you see a solar eclipse starting to happen. It's a signal to the gods that can't be ignored. Uh, we also see Harrow at the dig site telling his crew to keep digging no matter what so now it's made clear this is not just you know where mark is or over a certain portion of the outer outskirts of cairo like this is apparently happening to the night pardon me to to the sky everywhere that it can be seen like that you know it's that sort of power we go back to Kanshu. references made to transporting portals appearing uh and Mark's indeed does appear, so step on in. Kanchu will see him there. Mark goes into a somewhere. Pete, luckily, there's like some mirror stuff in the entryway there uh, because that lets Stephen appear to say they are inside the Great Pyramid of Giza. Yes, the reflective surface used yet again here for a meeting of the Aeneid this portal presenting itself he goes through others are coming through um 
as Mark descends down the steps there, portals bring other avatars. There's a woman who tells Mark that Conchu's theatrics are unparalleled, introduces herself as Yatzil, the avatar of Hathor, goddess of music and love. Conchu didn't mention her, though, uh, because other gods really aren't his favorite topic. Hathor says uh, through Yatzil that it wasn't long ago Conchu enjoyed her melodies. Mm. Uh, Mark says that the only melody <laughs> uh, he knows Conchu enjoys is the sound of pain. A suited man tells Yatzil to uh, take her place. Mark scans the room there. Uh, Yatzil asks if Conchu told him how this works, saying she tries not to fight the strange sensation, but he'll get used to it as her eyes glow and she rattles off the names of the others in attendance. Horus, Isis, Tefnut, Osiris, and of course, Hothar, uh, to hear the account of Conchu. Uh, and Conchu speaks uh, saying that he was punished for not abandoning uh, humanity. Um, it's noted by one of the other avatars slash gods that uh, work is done through the avatars to to do their to do their work uh, without overly meddling. So if nothing else, Pete, there's your explanation as to why we haven't heard of all these people before, or I guess we did back from Egyptian antiquity. But you understand, it's not Iron Man v. Uh, Hawthor for a reason. Uh, but to the task at hand here, the charges are Arthur Harrow uh, has been trying to release Amit. Uh, Harrow is brought in. Um, Pete, you get an Ethan Hawke for moments like this where he can walk in and be unsurprised that he's been called here and not really particularly scared that the ancient gods of Egypt have pulled him into this place. He just has a, you know, ha has a sense of authority to him. He does say that he has not missed Conchu's voice. Uh, Harrow says that he was merely just in the desert. Is it, is it a sin to be in the desert? Uh, the word of a shamed God should not be trusted. And let's not forget that the servant is unwell. Harrow says that this man doesn't even know his own name. Identity, papers under Mark Spector, a job under Stephen Grant. Pete, so much uh, confusion here. Who can you trust? He has no idea how many personalities that this man even possesses, and he's clearly insane. I think the the villainy that we know that Harrow is up to is almost equal to the, you know, mental health shaming that goes on in this scene. Um, all this really kind of uh, gets Conchu uh upset and he moves mark to hit harrow but the suited man stays his fist with a glowing restraint bringing him to his knees telling him that they will not tolerate violence in the chamber harrow says it brings him no pleasure to tell them mark is a deeply troubled man conchu is taking advantage of him the same way he abused him and conspires to abuse the court. And he urges them to take action now before it's too late. 
and uh, one of the gods asks to speak with Mark Spector. Uh, are you unwell? Mark admits uh, to as much and says that he does need help, but that does not change the fact that Harrow is is a dangerous man. If only uh, you would all listen. Um, it is noted that Harrow has made no offense. With that, court is concluded. Harrow walks out, and Mark is alone, uh, except for Yatzel uh, or Hawthor, depending on who's speaking. Uh, it's suggested that Mark find Senfu's tomb. His sarcophagus was stolen and is on the black market, so that's a, a great starting point. With that, we cut to Mark wandering the square, ordering the aforementioned glass of juice, asking about Sen, uh, Senfu's sarcophagus. The man, uh, the, the juice vendor, if you will, backs off. And Layla finds Mark uh, enjoying people I think is tea from a bag. Uh, she doesn't mind being there, uh, just uh, you know, despite the fact that the locals don't like her. Uh, Mark, however, is worried about Kanshu being in proximity to her. A reminder uh, for, uh, of last week's episode where it was floated that Kanshu's next avatar uh, could be Layla, and that's who Kanshu would like to partner up with. Yes, menacingly perched on top of a building there. Uh, she tells him to go with her and she'll help him find what he needs. At night on the Nile, boats are lit up by purple glow. Uh, Mark wants to know the plan and Layla points out how unpleasant it is to be left in the dark. He suggests they give their drama a rest before they get to Mogart's. She tells him she's not there to help him. But rather, she's there for her and everyone else who will die if Harrow succeeds. He apologizes for whatever it's worth. Mogart's collection is prime gossip for those who deal in antiquities. Suddenly dancing and ululating start up in the back of the boat. He hasn't heard that sound since their wedding. She says he could have told her about Stephen. And he says that he had it under control until recently. She asks what happens, and he says it doesn't matter. She takes his hands and tells him they could have handled it together. He's never been able to talk about everything. Before they get uh, to Mogart's, they decide to get their story straight. Pete, this scene, a reminder that my only real regret about the episode is that we don't have F. Murray Abraham's Khonshu yelling Mogart much as <laughs> F. Murray Abraham did at the beginning of Amadeus where he's calling out for Mozart. If you haven't seen Amadeus go see Amadeus. It's one of the greats. Uh, the boat gets docked. Of course they're headed to see Mogart. Uh, there's lots of guns ahead. Mark also spots a Zodiac boat uh, barely lit uh, baddies potentially there. Uh, oh, by the way, Mark, you are playing Rufino Estrada. Uh, we're a newly married couple, says Layla. They approach a display of horsemanship. Layla checks in with Major Domo Beck, uh, who knows uh, that Layla and Mogart have a lot to talk about. What after their adventures in Madripoor? See, Pete, that's a reference to another Marvel thing and a longtime comic thing, which means. Logan is going to appear any episode, right? They said Madripoor. <laughs> they said it in the other show, and he, well, he didn't show up then either. But Logan confirmed? 
Uh, I mean, he exists. How's how's that? <laughs> he's, that he's somewhere. Shirtless Bogar gets off his horse and puts on a robe before kissing Layla's hand and welcoming them. She introduces her husband, uh, you know, Rufina Estrada. Um, Bogart says the sarcophagus is more than an item in his collection to him, and he's preserving history because he has a responsibility he takes very seriously. Uh, he asks why this is uh, such interest, the sarcophagus of Senfu, and Layla starts to answer, but Mogart wants to hear from her husband. Funny man. <laughs> he says that he just wants to just uh, take a look. Uh, they do, uh, and it appears the piece is legit, a guide to the dead, though no definitive location. Stephen uh, chimes in, saying the information must be unlocked. It is coded. Mark doesn't want to give in, uh, but Stephen, you can keep talking. Stephen uh, wants the body, uh, and uh, Mark can piss off. Pete, that's British for go away, you jerky jerk. Um, Stephen will ultimately give the information with Mark still in control. Uh, fold the first piece over the middle piece. Okay, uh, not match the stars. All of a sudden, Beck has a gun, uh, and Mark takes it. Uh, Mark, of course, the trained, you know, assassin and so forth. Oops, now there's more guns drawn, and uh, Mogart tells Mark to get on his knees. Yes, uh, the goons with the drop on Layla there, not good. Um, he was so ready, Mogart was, to make peace with Layla, who says they're just trying to save lives. Mark tells Mogart to look inside the sarcophagus for something really, really big. Beck whispers in Arabic, and Mogart says they have a concerned third party. It's Harrow, and he says he can offer something much more tangible as he holds up the levitating scarab. Why settle for a clue when you can have the treasure? Layla says Harrow is going to kill millions. Harrow tells Layla distance won't prevent the wounds from her father's murder from reopening. Interesting. Uh, but her husband doesn't tell her the truth. And Mark won't tell her because she'll see him as he sees himself unworthy of love. Harrow holds up his glowing cane as proof of the lore of the relics is real. Conchu tells Mark to summon the suit and give them what they deserve. Harrow asks Mogart if he would like to see for himself and starts chanting. Purple energy surrounds and destroys the sarcophagus. Just a taste of the godly power Harrow offers. Mark suddenly disappears and is in the suit atop one of the glass pyramids. He throws his half-moon boomerangs and capes down to Layla in an excellent moment of action there. She shoots a bunch of guys, and he wraps the cape around her to protect her, which we've now been told has this healing power as well. She tells him to buy her some time, and he sends the bullets back at the goons that originally sent them. She raids the sarcophagus, and Beck comes for her as Mark fights. So does Layla. Uh, and Stephen says to stop because he wants the body, 
and Mr. Knight shows up and drops a guy and calls for time out. Chill the F out, says uh, Stevens, Mr. Knight. Um, Indeed, Pete, if there was one other small area in which I would like this scene to kind of chill, uh, Mogart is a new character to us. Either call him Mogart or call him Anton. A lot of flip-flopping back and forth in the last two scenes. It's one thing if you're calling Arthur Arthur and Arthur Harrow. He's been in every episode and multiple scenes and so forth. But but I digress, Pete. Great scene here. Great moment. Great use of both the Moon Knight costume and the Mr. Knight outfit. Um, and indeed, Mr. Knight is being attacked. He's not doing too well. Uh, take the body, Mark. Mark is uh, now the one in charge, laying waste, uh, even while he is stabbed repeatedly. It looks like Layla isn't doing great either. Uh, however, she quickly takes off her necklace, which, uh, I don't know, uh, turns into blades, and Beck is quickly <laughs> dispatched. Um, she grabs a gun and goes to help Moon Knight. All of a sudden, though, she's down. Moon Knight is down. Mogart on the horse with the spear, ready to go for the kill. Uh, is he headed for Moon Knight? Is he headed for Layla? Uh, indeed, Moon Knight is racing to Layla. Mogart is racing to Layla, but she is safe. Uh, the fight now over. Kanchu says, tick-tock, Mark Spector. Now, Pete, that's a reference to the sounds old-timey clocks used to make and not a <laughs> reference to your favorite, the social media app. Uh. Uh, <laughs> uh, later, Mark reflects uh, on having liked the jacket that he was wearing. It's all ripped up and no good anymore. It's Dunzo. Uh, he notes that Harrow was talking nonsense about Layla's right to know about something, something. He's trying to mess with you, move along. No story point to look at here. Harrow has the idea that he can see a person's true nature, uh, but he's also got homicidal maniacs as disciples. Don't let his message divide us, especially about this thing that Mark's avoiding. Instead, uh, Mark lets her reiterate that she doesn't know him deep down with all his layers. Later still, their truck is spotted as they drive out into the desert. The pieces of cloth are taped together, showing pieces and fragments of stars, but it still isn't working. Layla notes that Stephen could help, so why not let him try? Kanchu calls Stephen uh, a worm, and Mark angrily rips off a mirror, which in the moment I... Wasn't thinking of it as like the mirrored portion because we see it from the back. So it's like Mark's angry at the car, but it's an opportunity for him to look in the mirror, tell Stephen that he's in and Oscar Isaac's face changes so profoundly in this moment of acting. That's why you go out and get an Oscar Isaac and not just anybody. We've seen Mark. We've seen Stephen to see the transformation. You could just immediately pause it. You know, and, and for the uninitiated, say, yep, that's Stephen versus, you know, that's Mark. Uh, Stephen quickly tapes the pieces together, uh, forming a, a five-point star. The Egyptians invented modern navigation, he said, using the suns and stars in the desert without landmarks. Hey, voila! That's putting this all together, this star-shaped map. Uh, the little print picks in there. You use the constellations to triangulate, but scanning it through some app on her iPad or her uh, tablet doesn't seem to work for Layla. Uh, Stephen says that's because the stars drift over time. This could have been thousands of years ago. 
unless they know exactly what the stars look like on that night. But Conchu remembers that night and every night. He can turn back the night sky, but it's going to come at a cost and he cannot do it alone. And he tells Stephen that when the gods imprison him, you know, like we were told at the beginning of the episode, because that was Chekhov's uh, cost of doing this, um, to tell Mark to free him. Uh, Mr. Knight appears and is told by Conchu to do what he does. They put their hands up and wave the sky as the lights move throughout the area. Layla is there tracking this with her tablet. Harrow is watching with his um, cane from a car. Uh, Layla continues working here. Um, Harrow says that Conchu has brought this upon himself as the gods of the Aeneid are now in a circle in the Great Pyramid chanting Um and a uh, pedestal has a stone figurine begin to form. Stephen's Mr. Knight mask is off as all of this is going down. And Layla has it on the tablet. It's 29 degrees north, 25 degrees east. Conchu disappears. He is now in the stone statue. Stephen has passed out. Layla is over him. Stephen, Mark, where are you? Before Harrow is talking to the suited man identified in subtitles as Salim. Uh, and they are inside the Great Pyramid. It's noted that Kanshu is now tethered to that place. Uh, he may be able to hear them. Uh, Arthur continues to walk around considering the Kanshu statue. Arthur enjoyed giving out pain on Conchu's behalf, and that was a sin. He is grateful to have been so broken and to know the value of healing. Harrow takes the small statue, ready to do what Conchu could not. But, Conchu, by way of the statue, remember one thing. Your torment forged Harrow. sink our teeth into some sphinx stumping riddles matt the big mystery in this episode the unnamed third identity it's not me it's not you who's this other person killing well i know the comics have you know have have at least a third major person uh if i turn a blind eye to that i do I do rather like the idea that for the for the uninitiated uh, of which I am mostly and I think mo you know we've heard time and time again on Twitter and so forth how most people don't know a whole lot about this character. It's not it's not the game changer, you know next week is the game changer. I'm sure we'll talk about that. It's not a game changing thing to say, "Oh, there's a third personality." But it's not something that I was actively considering in the first two episodes. So to to get that kind of dropped in here in terms of you know to rewind to the the rooftop fight um if mark didn't just knife those guys and steven is saying oh no what did you do like the notion of a third one uh, a third personality is you know b again not game changing but it's a nice introduction of a a small twist 
And just what else has this other identity done? Did he murder the archaeologists we had seen at the dig site? Was Layla's father there for that? Or did he take out Layla's father at another time? Is that the big thing that uh, Mark fears that Layla is going to find out that Harrow is heavily hinting at. It certainly could be. I mean, part of me says, but wait, I'm so used to Mark and Steven. How dare you suggest a third option? Uh, it does occur to me that, you know, Steven is the main one in the first episode and uh, Mark is the main, uh, the main force in the second episode though we're not seeing this third guy due to the the flashes you know it's it, we two are ex, uh, experiencing these uh gaps in the timeline this third guy is in many ways um maybe not the star of the episode but we feel his presence here too so uh, pete if nothing else we're, we're on track for six personalities by the sixth episode that might be a tad much but you know i i do like the idea that we were sure it was mark the mercenary and now that we've gotten to know him kind of hard to think he took out all those well-meaning archaeologists just trying to preserve our great human history um so if you want to blame it on a as of yet unnamed third guy sure i'm i'm ready for that the scope of this series continues to get bigger and bigger what with uh conchu uh causing an eclipse that uh you know triggers this meeting of the aeneid gods and then later uh, you know, turning back the night sky to some ancient date and everybody sees it there um, resulting in his imprisonment. So, you know, we have these actions going on. We have what happened in Eternals, Matt, with, you know, big part of the body of uh, Tiamat uh, emerging from the earth. So these are some pretty big things going on in phase four. Well, first of all, Pete, while I admit that Eternals is part of the grand MCU tapestry, I, I try not to reflect on it too much. And I'm obviously, you know, including a little snark there. I do think it is. I do think there is a path by which five years from now we go huh, they never really did anything again with Eternals. Um, me personally, the it was such a poor movie. It would just be okay to move on and go, meanwhile, in Egypt, there's a really great story going on. And in New York, why, we're getting that uh, the first weekend in May and the multiverse and all of that. Um, but I digress. Pete, what a world it must be in to live in the MCU. And it's like, oh man, the stars are all swirling. All right, it's, it's done. Like we might not know what the answer is. Like none of the governments really know. Must have been magic, or space aliens, or magic space aliens. Uh, Pete, I don't know if that would make one feel more special in the universe or make one feel less significant. Well, we have these gods here who are trying to stay hidden. Uh, what with their avatars and admonishing Conchu for almost revealing them um they've come from the overvoid wherever that is um and 
you know, I think the parallels to Eternals are, are pretty strong. What with the gods there and how long they're living and, you know, their powers and seeing all these things. So I guess the question is, you know, are they known? Are they familiar with one another? I suppose the question then would be this. How long have the Egyptian gods um, been satisfied with taking taking a, a back seat? Um, I guess it's a bit difficult to say. When did, when did the Eternals show up? Was it 6,000 years ago? That, that number's in my head. I believe so, yeah. All right. So certainly um, that if we want to say Egyptian culture as we know it in the real world... Uh, if we want, you know, circa 3,000 years ago, um, 4,000 years ago when, when uh, you know, some of the ancient Egypt and, uh, culture was at its height, et cetera, et cetera. If we want to say that culture that we know in the MCU, they were still worshiping the gods who used to be around, but already 4,000 years ago had taken a back seat. Well, that still gives us 2,000 years previous to the interactions with the Eternals, so... I think it's possible. Now, is that an area that I think that they might mine story-wise? Which is to say, do we need the Eternals v. Egyptian gods flashback scene? Do we need it in the next three episodes of Moon Knight? I don't think so. Do we need it in Eternals 2, which I wonder is going to get made? But let's let me stop being a pessimist. Do we need that in Eternals 2? Not if you can be like, you know... And introducing special guest stars, Thor and the Fantastic Four, or whatever it might be. So, Pete, I think there's the possibility that they cross paths. I would be surprised if it ends up being pertinent to our Moon Knight arc or something in, let's say, the next two years of the movies. I'll reserve prediction for any of the future TV shows. We're told that the gods don't know where Amit is buried so these are not omnipotent you know all seeing beings which is an interesting way to cast them it is and add to it like they so quickly get um kind of court procedured out of the case here like it's like uh we're throwing out the case due to lack of evidence and it's like but wait you know to use a more um to use a more modern example, um, Khonshu's claim is essentially like, you know, Satan is trapped in a cave and Harrow is trying to turn back the rock, uh, and therefore letting letting Satan free in the world. And the the court, which I understand, you know, halfway through the episode, halfway through the season, I understand why they're not going to be like, ooh, Harrow is bad, encase him in stone, the end. So I get that from a storytelling point of view, but they're kind of so quick to be like, but Harrow wasn't by any caves, therefore, case dismissed, you're all free. Like, they're not, in my mind, they're not really treating this threat the way we know they should. That's not a complaint storytelling-wise. I think if, if anything else, it's just there they are kind of sleepily detached from protecting the humanity they're supposed to be protecting to the point where now Harrow is like, what, me, Sandy Desert? I know, find Amit. And they're like, get out there, you little rascal, and go build yourself a little sandcastle. The connection of uh, Moon Knight to Madripoor, something first mentioned and seen in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, 
is an interesting one. Do you think we'll get any more there? Pete, my hope is that, you know, just as all of, perhaps not all, just as many of these Marvel properties have influences from other, uh, other stories, you know, we're going to do um, the, the 70s spy thriller for Winter Soldier and so forth. My hope is that there is a fourth, that this is setting up a forthcoming, as of yet unannounced MCU show uh, inspired Pete by one of your favorite mid 90s shows. Okay. I'm talking uh, Baywatch Nights. Okay. I'm thinking you could do Madripoor Nights and it could be showing the seedy underbelly of that. Uh, of that that place and so forth it really could be kind of compelling you know everybody's a baddie and, and so forth so uh maybe they're setting up that who who's to say i'm wrong i'm probably wrong and then of course you're aware of where anton mogart uh lives in the comics right i am not do tell in an in an opulent uh mansion in new jersey oh oh pete I shouldn't be surprised because to see uh, to see Anton there riding his horse in the horsemanship arena pit thing, shirtless, muscular. I was like, Pete, I'm looking at what could be the third member of Fantastic Geek. He would fit right in, you know, <laughs> shirtless horseback rides and so forth. It, you know, uh, Mogart, you know where we are. Stop on by anytime. Now, Pete, let's take a listen to some of the two ten comments left on our Twitter poll. Uh, voters this week asked to give a sartorial vote. How many suits would they give to this episode? Uh, the lowest vote, Pete, the suit of a bathing suit day at the beach got 0%. A t-shirt, Casual Friday, got 0%. Uh, two suit and ties ready for work got 22.6%. And then the tippity-top Three suits and tie VIP best uh, got 77.4% of the vote. So some hearty responses there. Uh, in terms of Twitter replies, uh, Darren Bell, that's Darth Rastlin, 79. Not much to say apart from this could be my favorite of the MCU shows, despite my lack of prior knowledge of the character. I honestly have no idea where this show is going. I'm curious as to your views on to whether we uh, still... Haven't had a Thor trailer because Gore is set to make an appearance in this show, which is a, a theory that a lot of people have had. So what do you say there, Pete? More Gore in the next three weeks? I don't know that that's the holdup on the Thor trailer. I, I think they're going to give you the Thor trailer when they're good and ready to do that. Maybe they want it seen in theaters first <laughs> with Doctor Strange. I mean, you'd have to think there's like a two week and change time frame obviously before that happens for them to deploy it uh i don't think they're holding it up that gore's appearance possibly in moon knight is holding it up as we've said before um particularly disney marketing um or shall we say disney marvel marketing like however siloed you want to get within the the marketing operation that is uh, disney there's a danger in having people be too excited about something too far off. Uh, it's true for Disney. It's true for Star Trek. It's true for a lot of these 
properties that have kind of one corporate owner. We shouldn't be excited about Thor and the Guardians of the Galaxy this summer. We should be excited about Doctor Strange and who's going to show up there, uh, who who has shown up in recent trailers and so forth. So, Pete, I think you're absolutely right. It might leak online or, or leak or be released online the week that Doctor Strange comes out. The Thor trailer might, but I think... Like, we are meant to go, oh, man, Doctor Strange is great, and I already punched my ticket, and I'm in my seat. What? Thor is coming back? I had no idea. Boom. Tickets go on sale June 1st. Okay, great. I'm going to leave here and make plans with Pete to buy our tickets on June 1st for the July uh, uh, the, the, the release uh, of, of uh, Thor 4. Anyhow, Pete, on to Noel Gardner at Noel Camille. I think we have another altar. The Indiana Jones Fight Club vibe was strong in this episode. I heard that Madripoor drop. So has Layla crossed paths with Sharon with uh, Black Market Antiquities. I know Steven wants to be out, but I'm glad he realized uh, to leave the fights to Mark. Uh, so, Pete, I'll bounce off what Noel said, and I'll kind of take some inspiration here from Darren's tweet. Do we get a Sharon Carter appearance in the next three episodes? That'd be really interesting. I don't know that they'd necessarily bring her in, but it doesn't rule out that they can't cross paths on screen eventually. Yeah. Like you could grab her for one scene anywhere. Oh, you're LA based and you're not shooting your Fox show in Atlanta anymore. How about you meet us at such and such studio where it's going to be outside by the brick wall and you know, whatever it might be. That could be really fun. Next up we hear from make it. So that's at KCLYLE one. That shot with the cape out like a crescent was fantastic. Fantastic with a PH. The episode was worth it for that alone. Cool fight scenes and some good humor thrown in. Grant telling Spectre to take the body back. Khonshu taking over Spectre's body was a little weird, but overall it was great. Next we hear from Andre Yeager, Dr. Polo 1983. We definitely have a third identity. Wonder if that was the one that took out the people in the first episode. Mark does not seem to be that violent. I wonder if Khonshu will be freed by next week. Another great episode. Uh, Darren had replied maybe the third one was the one to execute the archaeologist mentioned in episode two. And uh, Spider-Ham Lincoln agrees with both of them. Next, we hear Pete from uh, Bob Keeley at R. Keeley on Twitter, who we're going to hear from again in a little bit as well. I've truly enjoyed this show uh, where I have absolutely no idea where we're headed. What fun. Uh, back to Spider-Ham Lincoln, Tess LC139. I'm digging the strong Indiana Jones vibe in 103. It was an exhilarating adventure, and the trial scene in the Aeneid con conference room was compelling. Uh, I hadn't considered that the other gods would also have avatars, but it makes sense. This is turning out to be a great story, and I hope that we get more Moon Knight someday in the MCU's future. Uh, last but not least, RIP to Gaspard Uliel, a.k.a. MK's Midnight Man, Pete, I know we mentioned it at the top, but it's worth mentioning again. I mean, what a what a great appearance he had in this episode, and you know what a loss for uh, obviously for those who knew him, but also for what he could have continued to contribute to film and TV. It is, and the gravitas that he brings, this charming rogue. We want to see more of him. So you know, unfortunately, as far as down the road. That's definitely not going to be the case. Let's hope that there's a little bit more that we see for this series. Uh, back to Twitter here. We hear from Rose Ferry uh, at Anna Rose 584 Did I hear the avatars say, we don't interfere? Hmm, I've heard that somewhere before. 
Uh, next, J. Philly B. That's at J. Philly B for fandom. Watching Oscar Isaac change from Mark to Steve in the blink of an eye was amazing. Can't wait to see what he does with his third personality. The visuals are stunning, especially the chamber of the Aeneid. But didn't Stephen tell us there were nine gods? Who's uh, missing? Is it just me? Every time I see Harrow, I find myself staring at his feet, wondering if he's still <laughs> walking on broken glass and why it doesn't fall out of his sandals, especially when walking on sand. Can sand be turned into glass? Is there some symbolism I'm missing? Pete, I had wondered that too. There he is walking on molded sand, the glass, in his sandals, on the sand, sandal, sand, glass sand. It's all sand necked. I don't I'm not quite sure what it means, but it, it's something. It is. I mean, the fact that you make the glass from sand, um, you know, that transformative power. Um, yeah, I keep looking at his sandals and just wonder how he's getting along like that. Let me throw out something that popped into my head while watching this episode. Um, what if it's like a case of um he takes the sandals off and the feet are all bloody and he he like pulls the shards out and then boom, he has healing factor. Pete, I'm not saying he's a Wolverine. I'm just saying it could be a way to be like, I have powers you couldn't possibly believe uh you know, believe in or believe about. And we all go, Oh my goodness, is he a mutant? Um, could be, right? I mean, the whole thing of unintended consequences of Conchu that he has made Harrow, you know, to be the person to go down this road to unleash Amit. And now that um, Conchu is imprisoned and Mark and Steven and whoever else and Layla have to uh, get Conchu out, obviously, so they can use that healing protective armor that he has that uh, obviously is a good thing to have um, and to stop this, you know, halfway through the series, again, those heavy dramatic stakes with millions of lives in the balance. <laughs> Next up, we hear from Jordan Tanner at mighty underscore Jor and Pete, all of these uh, words starting with the letter F uh, he has put in PH. So I want to give that credit right up front here. The action in this episode was great. I found the trial was frustrating. Like, why are they so quick to believe Arthur Farrow? So far, the show has not felt very episodic, but I feel like I am watching one-sixth of a movie each week, which leaves me feeling a bit unsatisfied. It is, to him, Pete, frustrating. And again, it's all the PH. Uh, last, we hear from Snow Goggles. That's at Snow Goggles. Uh, I had to think about this episode more than normal. I liked it, but I didn't like the use of Mr. Knight as Steven this time. I don't recall him ever being silly, which is how he comes off when he's tied to Steven. I get that combining them saved on storytelling. Not my favorite, though. Maybe one more episode so each personality gets fleshed out would have been good, but I'll take all the Moon Knight I can get. I truly hate being a hater, so I'll go rewatch and look for the good. Um, and Pete, that's something that we've discussed before a little bit in terms of, in the comics, Mr. Knight is his own personality persona and so forth but here it's just steven in a different suit could it be that steven is kind of finding his feet as mr knight and the mr knight personality emerges more so that's where i kind of find myself um you know but i really like hearing steven in the mr knight get up telling everybody to chill the f out Pete, what do you have there over on facebook Steven 
Adams, Matt, or Steve Adams, writes into the Fantastic Geek Facebook page. Episode three of Moon Knight was a winner. We started to dig into the Egyptian mythology a bit and see the relationships that define the Egyptian gods. Clearly, Khonshu is a bit of a rebel, and the rest of them seek to preserve the status quo. I'm sure it is a terrifying thing for Stephen to observe Mark when he is engaging in the violence that he loathes. It will be interesting to see if the two can learn to work together to achieve the greatest results. I am also thinking we got our first glimpse of Jake Lockley in this episode as well. And am I the only one thinking that Mark is the who killed Layla's father? Surely not. Until next time, stay fantastic with the PH. It is a reminder, you know, somebody has done all these bad things and I feel like overall the show need, I mean, we need some sort of justice for the archeologist, some sort of justice for Layla's father. I think if we don't get justice for them, okay, fine. We kind of never met them. And if if they kind of want to mumble, mumble their way out of that story problem, so be it. But if it is the Jake personality, okay, great. How do we get justice? Because it still is a personality inside the one body and so forth. So It'll be interesting to see how all of this gets gets resolved, certainly. Uh, Pete, next up, an email from the aforementioned uh, Dr. Bob, uh, Robert Keeley, who says, thanks for another great Moon Knight episode. Your comment about KFC triggered a memory. Uh, Pete, I'm sure listeners recall that you had mentioned how there's a KFC in Cairo, and if you go upstairs, you go to the balcony. Um, it's an awesome view of the the Great Pyramids of, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, of our... Uh, our shared human experience. Anyhow, back to Bob's words. Finger licking good, some might say. <laughs> a few years back, says Bob, I spent a week in uh, Uganda teaching African pastors as part of a conference. We arrived late on a Friday night, and on Saturday morning, we were invited to get a tour of Kampala, the city we were just outside of. I, along with five others, climbed in the van and took off for the city. We saw a number of sites, including the former presidential palace unused since the atrocities under Idi Amin took place, some chilling sights uh, there that still live clearly in my memory. As we were being driven around the city, though, I started getting a little concerned about where we would eat. My doctor warned me about what food I should avoid, and the places we passed uh, that had food seemed not to fit the requirements. Plus, I'm not very adventurous, and it was my first and only time anywhere in Africa. I was tired and jet-lagged, my luggage had not uh, not arrived with me, and I had to preach something I only do rarely in a local church the next morning. I was a little tense. We turned down a narrow street, parked, and went into a building, which turned out to be some sort of mall. And what do we see as soon as we get in? A KFC. I was glad to see a place where I could eat without worry. Don't worry. Back at the conference, I had plenty of Ugandan food, so I wasn't one of those tourists who only wants to eat what I'm used to. Pete, that from Bob, and a reminder that uh, you know. It's good to be adventurous, but sometimes there's no place like home. Yeah, and uh, I, th- I thought he was going to lead us like, all right, across from the presidential palace, is there a KFC? Is this some kind of Colonel Sanders other secret that he sets up franchises across from, uh, you know, landmarks? Is there one near the uh, the Taj Mahal or what have you? Um, 
also on uh, Apple Podcast. Matt, hearing from Dr. Bob K. again, writes a uh, review. Uh, the subject line is another winner, five stars, and it reads, Fantastic Geek is my go-to source for thoughtful and insightful discussions on all Marvel films and series, and Moon Knight is no exception. They help me to think about things I missed in my first watch of the show and encourage me to consider where things might be headed. Matt and Pete have built a wonderful set of podcasts, and I never miss one of their episodes on any property that I watch and that they cover. Keep up the good work, guys. Well, thank you, Bob, for, for your kind words there and your, your thoughts via Twitter and email and Apple Podcast reviews. So certainly very, very appreciated there. If it's not on Apple Podcasts that you want to help us out, you can get over to patreon.com slash fantasticgeek. Indeed, Pete. Uh, we are so appreciative to be listener-supported there on Patreon, uh, particularly as we gear into uh, not just the busy May, but the very, very busy June. going to be doing three shows at the same time in June. Uh, I'm sure we can keep all those plates spinning, but it uh, certainly helps knowing we have the listener support there on Patreon. So our thanks as always. Pete, how can we keep the conversation going halfway through Moon Knight? How can people talk with you about the MCU? Find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,570 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter is looking back lost, do me in touch with the podcast, comment on fantasticgeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But we, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek, all one word with the P and the H like it today. If you are listening on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, we're back tomorrow to watch Star Trek Picard. If you're here just for the Marvel goodness, back next Saturday to talk Moon Knight episode 104 as we dig into the second half of this gotta be season, right? Pete, there's no way this is six episodes now. They've gotta be cooking the season too, but I guess that's a discussion for another day. For now, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Spare me your self-righteous threats. Oh,